you really just have to kind of surrender to the process. I remember telling that to one of the doctors. They were like, oh, you're a good patient. And I'm like, well, you kind of just have to surrender. Yeah. Because there's no other option. You have to ride the wave, even if it sucks. Let's dig through the mud together. We're so glad you're here. Join us here each week for Mudlark. Hi, you guys. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Danny Bolts, and I am so glad you're here. Welcome to Mudlark. Here at Mudlark, we talk about the things that are sometimes just really hard to talk about, you know, those sticky, tricky parts of being human, because I really believe that these are the stories that connect us all forever. And I'm just so glad you're here. If it's your first time or your 20th time or 27th time, I'm just very, very grateful. I have been gone for a few weeks. If you listened to the last episode I released, which was a few weeks ago, you would have heard that I was very, very excited to announce uh, my pregnancy. And very quickly after that episode launched, I found out we were carrying twins. And very quickly after that, I found out that the pregnancy was no longer progressing and was devastated and still definitely going through just waves of grief. I have never, I have been pregnant once before, and I've talked about that on this podcast, and I miscarried at 18, but to just be pregnant with someone you love so much and losing a pregnancy like that, if you've ever experienced it, I know you're with me, I know you understand, it is a very debilitating, bizarre, fucking crazy feeling, and... It's kind of weird, though, because this all happened in the middle of this insane pandemic, um, and that kind of amplified everything. But I will say there's something deep within me that just feels so grounded, calm, and trusting, and I just know that everything is happening as it should, and although we were so fucking excited and ready and have already created so much space for this baby or those babies to come through, it wasn't the right time. And I have really made peace with that. So thank you to everyone who's reached out over Instagram or in the private Facebook group, Budlarkers Anonymous. I just really love you guys and I appreciate you and I am doing okay. I am very excited though to introduce today's guest with you. This is an interview with Scott Harn, one of my longest lifelong friends. We have been best friends since sophomore year in high school. He has seen me through, you will hear in the show, um, through the conversation, he has seen me through every transition in life. He was actually there when I had my first miscarriage. He took me to the hospital. He was just always been there. And this conversation is really impactful because we really dug deep into his story, the adversity he has faced in regards to his health. He is, in a lot of ways, always been 
a sick person. And I, I feel weird saying that he's my best friend. That's probably why I'm saying it in that way. He just knows that I don't mean any offense by it, but he was born with a heart condition and we go deep into all of the surgeries he's had. He was diagnosed with thyroid cancer when we were super young. He was still a teenager and it's just a very good episode for anyone who is struggling with illness, anyone who has someone in their life who has constantly been facing an adversity, adversities like he has. I just think he is such a good example of how you can still thrive. You can still live a good life, even when you struggle with illness. And I just love him so much. So before we hop into the show, I do just want to let you guys know that I'm back. I really thrive when I have the consistency of releasing these episodes. So even when I'm having a shitty week, I'm going to show up because it's really powerful for my own mental health. And I just love connecting with you guys. I love you all so fucking much. And just thank you for being here. Thank you for being patient when I took a little break. And I'm just so excited to be bringing you shows again every Monday and maybe even more. So without further ado, let's move on to my conversation with Scott Harn. I'll see you on the other side. You can suck your straw. Okay. And then if you have to cough, you can cough. And if we have to break to go to the bathroom, we can do that as well. Okay. Sound good? You ready to go for a ride with me, mommy? Yeah. You ready to get on the roller coaster and fly? It's so weird because I can just hear it tripping me out. I know. You've never... I'm surprised you haven't used this though, like with your dad's stuff. Not really, no. I've never like recorded music or anything. What the... How have you not recorded music and your dad has a recording studio? I don't know. Anyway, whatever. I love to just start the show with just hearing about who you are. It's always weird interviewing people that I know really fucking well (laughs) because I'm like... I know everything, so I'm asking questions that a lot of the time I know the answer to. Right. But anyway, why don't you just share your name, where you grew up, and a bit about your background and upbringing. Yeah. uh, My name's Scott Harn. Uh, I was born in Portland. I grew up in Boring. (laughs) and Like a few miles from here? Just a few miles away. Not far away at all. Uh, I went to high school with Danny, Mm -hmm. and that was how we met. Um, I have one younger brother who's three years younger than me three years our birthdays are three days apart actually <laughs> and everyone thinks you're twins we think everyone thinks we're twins you've convinced <laughs> people in public that we're twins and i've convinced people that i'm your mother which yeah. makes no fucking sense because i was like 18 when i did that they were old and senile yeah. it's-, <laughs> it's fine <laughs> and why don't you talk about just your relationship with your brother with your parents and kind of paint the picture of that yeah so my mom and dad met through my dad was like a traveling kind of musician and that was how he and my mom met my mom's from montana and they ended up i was an accident sort of Mm. and then they got together and then my mom moved here to oregon and they had my brother three years later and they divorced when i was about nine nine or ten they separated when i was nine divorced when i was ten yeah and then i was kind of raised between two households after that yeah and you have a stepmom (laughs) <laughs> I do have a stepmom, and I've had a couple of stepdads. <laughs> yeah. How many stepdads? Three, um, four, two, seventeen. Two. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> two, three, three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what was your relationship like with your parents growing up? Um, 
Like, kind of like the energy of the household. What did that feel like? With my dad, it was kind of, I mean, for a few years, it was just me and my brother and my dad living together. And so it was kind of, we all just sort of took care of each other in that house. And then when I would stay with my mom, she remarried after her and my dad divorced. Mm -hmm. And that was a little bit different because I clashed with my stepdad and so did my brother. Yeah. But... It was okay. Right. Yeah. Not ideal at all times. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like on, you know, like me personally, but then on this show, like it's just transparency and Mm -hmm. as clear as humanly possible. But like when I think of you and your dad, I always think of you guys have just always been like buds. Like you don't go super deep, but you've always been close. Yeah. And he just would do anything for you. Yeah. And then like with your mom, there's always kind of been that. (laughs) how do i explain it i think that with my mom i think with my dad there's more of like an unspoken kind of communication stream between us yeah in respect yeah and then with my mom i have to it's a lot more communication is required yeah and tension yeah like i have to be way more articulate or like you have to talk to her yeah for sure and be open yeah so scott and i met when we were were we sophomores yeah (laughs) oh personal finance yeah but you had like come up to me in the store one time and like accosted me (laughs) and told me that the weather was nice i think you were trying to get my attention or something yeah before i knew you shut up Mm -hmm. at the store at like fred meyer i was like hey you're like hey nice weather i think you were with jamie or something what Mm -hmm. i don't remember that at all yeah (laughs) that is fucking weird (laughs) i just know that so scott and i pretty much instantly like when we hung out the very first time um we just were pretty inseparable and spent like the rest of our high school our <laughs> high school career what if you, you can call it that for me not really um laughing our asses off at everything at everything and that's always been like the foundation for our friendship mm-hmm. i feel like just like sick humor and we have a similar sense of humor yeah i can't even explain the humor it's like kind of dark but actually just ridiculous how uh, do you explain it i don't know i we just notice things chicken lady yeah like, strange things in public <laughs> yeah well i think it's just because like the world is just so fucking weird mm-hmm. and every and people are disgusting and i feel like we just notice everything yeah and when i'm with some other friends like because maybe they don't go to that level we just don't have like the same humor connection i don't know or we're just more aware of things around us and we pick up on it and we can relate (laughs) over it (laughs) usually we don't even say anything we just like look at each other and we just start fucking dying (laughs) so my aside from you being one of my best friends um for so long like i wanted to bring you onto the show just really to talk about what you have gone through with your actual like physical health because Mm -hmm. ever since you were born you I mean you had a heart condition you were born with it correct yeah and I would love it if you could just kind of take us back take the listeners back to where your health crises kind of began and how that yeah just where did that start and how did that impact you so as far back as I can remember, as I was like cognizant of anything around me, I've had a heart problem. So I was born with, it's called a bicuspid aortic valve. Mm-hmm. So you have a valve in your heart that pumps the blood through the aorta, which is the biggest artery in your body. Mm-hmm. And there's normally three leaflets on that. I was born with two, so it was just a defect. And so the blood was not able to sufficiently get pumped through there. 
And so I was monitored from a really young age to make sure, because if I, if your blood's not pumping adequately, you lose your breath, you pass out. So I was always, they were monitoring me for those symptoms and checking on it every year. Yeah. And then I don't know if this is jumping ahead, but in my early 20s after that, I was diagnosed with an aneurysm on the aorta and it was because the valve wasn't working properly. So it was putting pressure on the aorta. And so it started to kind of balloon out. Yeah. And that was kind of the tipping point. Right. Where they had to like keep a really big eye on it and be like, something's going to have to probably change soon. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because that's, I mean, time is of the essence on that. That's like a ticking time bomb because I didn't have a ticking time, ticking time bomb, bomb. <laughs> alliteration. Yeah. <laughs> um, it. Yeah, I never developed any of the symptoms that you would get just from the faulty valve, which is like the shortness of breath passing out. I never got to that point. I had the aneurysm happen first and that kind of intervened. Right. And when you were little, like, did you... F- I mean, you had something going on in your body that was abnormal. Did you feel like a sick person? I didn't feel like a sick person. There were restrictions on things that I could do. Like I wasn't supposed to weight lift or do really <laughs> heavy like running that would put a lot of stress. <laughs> You're like, damn it. Yeah, I big really- loss. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm oh. not going to be able to sleep tonight. I can't do a marathon. Oh. <laughs> but... <laughs> um. Yeah, there were those limitations. But I didn't feel like a sick person per se, but it was a big source of anxiety for me. Yeah. Because I would have to go every year when I was a kid. Right. And I remember just like those trips going down there with my parents. We'd always go together. We'd go to Emanuel Hospital in Portland. And I remember the drive vividly every time. And I was always so stressed out. Yeah. Because I I, every time I'm going there, I'm thinking, well, they're going to tell me. That you need to have surgery or that you're going to die. And or... petrifying when you're a kid. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. I remember in high school, because um, I actually lived with you in mm-hmm. high school, <laughs> I kind of got kicked out in a way or I kind of left. I don't really know exactly. Something happened. Whatever. But we, sh- we had a bunk bed and <laughs> I had the top bunk, you had the bottom. <laughs> and I remember going to um, one of your heart appointments with you. You did? Yeah. I went to probably a manual with you and I went to that hospital. I don't remember. I- I have so many. I didn't sit it's in a blur, the but... doctor's office with you, but I went with you and your mom mm-hmm. and maybe your brother. But I remember days leading up to that, you just got fucking crabbier and crabbier. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to your mom being like, what the fuck is wrong with him? He's being a little asshole. <laughs> She's like, he's scared. Because mm-hmm. like she knew that about you. Right. And like, it makes so much sense. Like you're afraid and that's like when we're when we're jerks or whatever it's just like usually from that place of like being sad or scared right that's so crazy so i guess like before we hop forward because there's been a lot of health stuff in your adult life that's been insane and super scary but just to go back what were you like as a kid i was i guess i was kind of solitary i mean i had friends in school and stuff but i was definitely i kind of grew up in the woods yeah and my brother and i spent a lot of time playing outside Mm -hmm. like especially like this time of year in the spring and summer it was like our go-to we'd get home from school we'd build forts in the woods we did a lot of stuff i spent a lot of time with my brother yeah actually that's yeah i can see that for you Mm -hmm. guys like just little boys like running around in the woods playing down at the creek playing at the creek going swimming (laughs) building like teepees tree forts oh (laughs) yeah yeah with the neighbor kid cody yes (laughs) 
<laughs> was he always playing with you guys too? Oh, often, yeah. Oh, I love that. And you are like a fucking crazy reader and movie addict. Has that been a part of you always? Yeah, I think so. I always was a. I loved reading. Yeah. As far back as I can remember. Mm. And then when I was maybe like in late elementary school, I mean, I've always watched movies. I obviously grew up watching like Disney movies, children's movies. And then I'd say in like middle school, I started to develop my own interests in yeah. certain kinds of movies. And I've just kind of been a cinephile ever <laughs> since. <laughs> yeah. You have like, I mean, you are the person in my life that has taught me what good film is I feel like like you did that accidentally because you would just put in these amazing movies that I never would have heard of I'm right now as I'm looking in your eyes I'm thinking of uh what is it the heavenly creatures yeah with with <laughs> Kate, Kate Winslet, Winslet. And Melanie Linsky oh yeah. my god it's so good it's so good Did, didn't you watch it recently I bought it re I had lost the dvd and I bought it recently I it haven't seen it in so years so good mm. I mean, we would joke that that was us it was like these it was. it was these two little girls and young girls and then they kind of ended up I don't know why we would call this us actually it's, it's disgusting super fucking gross that we did but they were just like had this little like lesbian like friendship connection intense bond <laughs> intense bond uh -huh. it was so funny um and so yeah you were just kind of like this like a little solitary kid like hung out with your brother did you have friends growing up i did i mean i had more friends when i was a kid than i did i think when i got to high school was where that kind of changed i became more of a loner at that time and i had a few friends in high school and obviously you became one of them yeah but i had a bigger group of friends when i was a little kid which right. it might just be easier to have friends when you're little yeah and did it feel like like getting into high school when you had maybe less friends did you feel just like reservation and connecting with people or i mean you know me i'm like the most social like extroverted motherfucker so like that's never been a thing for me mm -hmm. so like what did it feel like getting into high school it just i mean i think the shift was that it was a bigger school there was a lot of kids that i didn't know because they were coming from all of the schools around yeah and so the pool just got bigger right. and i just I was pretty into my schoolwork and I was absorbed in that and I just kind of buried myself in that and yeah. didn't really focus on my social life as much. Right. You had like a few friends. I mean, I remember the group that you like sat with mm -hmm. at lunch. Yeah, I had like a group. Right. But yeah. like you didn't really hang out with them outside of school. Not a lot. No. And that's why I like dug my fingers into you probably because <laughs> I was just like best friends and you had like time. And so we spent a shit ton of time together. A lot. A lot. Like our thing was like Taco Bell. Like that's mm -hmm. like aside from humor, like we really bonded over Taco Bell, bean and cheese burritos. No, you were cheesy bean and rice. Uh-huh yeah and but, thai food oh <laughs> followed by subway double chocolate cookies and we would just lay on the couch and watch tyra TV. banks oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then we would proceed to eat like a bag of juanita's tortilla chips always tortilla chips and salsa and then we would just feel so sick but we like would just continue to do that and we'd blast the heater and then we would fall asleep <laughs> And your mom would your mom would get home uh -huh. and just be like oh my god turn this heat off because it was like 900 degrees in the house uh -huh. so disgusting so when was like kind of your next 
health crises. So we're in, we're in high school. I mean, I guess, could we talk about this? Like you coming out to me? Yeah. Does that feel okay? Um, just like, it's like right after high school, we were like spending all this time together and I like had really conflicting feelings towards you because I was like, I couldn't tell if I just was like, I loved you so much as my best friend or if maybe I like liked you. I was always, ca- I just, it was just like this weird energy and everyone always thought we were together too always. because it was like a boy and a girl like hanging out all mm-hmm. the time. Like people just assumed. And I remember you came and slept over at my house. <laughs> As you do. This is when uh-huh. I when I finally got my own place. And it was like, I remember working at Joe's. I was working at Joe's the next morning. Joe's Donuts, bright and early. And I remember us just like laying in bed. And I don't know how it happened. But basically, I was like asking you. I was trying to understand what your type was. Because in the whole time I knew you, you hadn't dated. You uh-huh. hadn't had a girlfriend. And I was like, what's your type? Like, what is you, that how it started? Yeah, I remember asking you like we were laying there. And just so you guys know, Scott and I have never, ever touched uh-huh. <laughs> or like, I mean, we've touched like hug and hold hands and like you would squeeze the guts out of my arms when I slept <laughs> on the top bunk. But aside from that, nothing sexual between us ever, ever, ever. He thinks I'm absolutely hideous and disgusting. I mean, that's not true, but but <laughs> I mean, yeah, just I know what you mean. that's actually attractive to me and I get it. But anyway, that was like when I was like asking you and then you got really quiet and I remember you like covered your head with a blanket and then I looked over and I was like, what? And that was when you came out. You came out to me and you Mm -hmm. told me that you were gay and I was just like, (laughs) I think I just like threw my body on top of you. I was like, it makes so much sense. (laughs) And it was just like a really cool moment because I felt like, I mean, was I the first person you told? Yeah. Yeah. Ever? I think so, yeah. Mm. And that was a long time. So uh-huh. can we talk about that a little? I mean, I know that this still isn't something you talk super openly with family about. I mean, they all know. We Every- j- I just don't, you yeah. know. We it's kind of like that quiet understanding, almost like that yeah. quiet thing, like even with your dad, like everyone just knows. But like, what do you think that was kind of part of like just not having like a lot of close friendships at all in high school like you felt like you had this thing that you i don't know maybe because i would yeah i mean that's possible i'm because i could have had like a fear of getting close to people yeah. for that reason maybe subconsciously i don't know yeah you're like consciously i don't know yeah. but i'd have to go to like a psychotherapist <laughs> and get analyzed yeah for sure and you knew when you were a little boy right yeah you just always know yeah you always know and yeah I think that that is I mean I remember feeling and I remember talking to you about this because like when I was a little kid I was humping like all my friends (laughs) like boys and girls and all that stuff and it was really confusing for me because Uh I was like I liked boys and I liked girls and I remember feeling very alone Mm -hmm. in like liking girls and being a girl yeah and so i don't know did you feel that as a kid like did you feel like a fucking weirdo or did you have i mean when you're little you don't really have the language for it but it does seem like an anomaly because you most of the examples around you well especially where we live yeah it's a small town yeah you don't see a lot of people right yeah i just remember feeling like so weird and i remember feeling like i remember feeling ashamed Mm -hmm. but probably because i was like seven years old and like humping my friends in my grandparents barn i was just like is that like a? I don't know i remember saying that i was telling my cousin about 
how I used to do that. And she's like, that's really weird. <laughs> and I was like, oh, don't shame me. <laughs> I was like, go fuck yourself. So yeah, in high school. So after high school, you came out and that wasn't a huge loud thing. That wasn't like, mm. oh, life has changed. That was just like me personally knowing my best mm. friend more. And after that, there were health things that started to come up pretty quickly. Yeah, not that long after, I a think. A couple years, right? Yeah. Is when you got diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Uh-huh. Yeah, can you talk about that? That was, I think I was in, we were in college together, I think. Yeah. I think we were both going. This is like a glimpse of time when I was in college. <laughs> <laughs> you were there, though. Yeah, see? Oh, my God, you guys. See, I did go to college. You were there. For a little bit. <laughs> and I had, my wisdom teeth were coming in at that time. And I had my wisdom teeth taken out. And I had noticed a lump in my neck at the same time. And I asked the orthodontist or the oral surgeon who did the surgery. And he said, it's probably just an infection in your lymph node from the teeth. Cause I had really bad impacted wisdom teeth. And mm. I, he said, it's probably just your lymph nodes are swollen. It'll probably go away in a few months. Just watch it. And it never went away. And you knew. I knew that something was wrong. You told me that you had cancer before you were diagnosed. I, because there's no other thing that it could have possibly been. It right. was, I mean, a hard lump in your neck. I thought I had lymphoma. Was it a huge lump? Yeah, I mean, it went, I couldn't feel all of it, but part of it was palpable on the right side. It was like almost, I mean, it wasn't protruding, but if you pushed on my neck, you could feel it. Oh, that is so scary. And so did you go get it checked out right away? I did go get it checked out, but they. it took a while before they were able to find out what it was. I had to see a couple different doctors. And they thought it was something like sarcoma, which I don't even know what that is. I don't, I'm not sure. And then eventually they were actually going to do a biopsy. They were going to, I was going to. A bobopsy. A bobopsy. <laughs> <laughs> also, my big fat Greek wedding is one of our favorite that's a, movies. That's a quote from it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they were going to take it out and I was going to have outpatient surgery. And then the doctor, we were at school, I think. Mm. And the doctor called me the day before I was supposed to have the surgery or a different doctor and said, Hey, I just looked at your scan. We're going to cancel the biopsy and I want you to come see me tomorrow. Scary. Yeah. So I knew something was up mm -hmm. and he was the one, he was a ear, nose and throat surgeon. Mm -hmm. And he was the one somehow, I mean, people had, they'd passed my scans around the hospital because multiple people had looked at it to try to figure out what was going on. I think even he told me there were cancer doctors and surgeons that looked at it and they didn't even pick up on it, but it was the lump was coming from my thyroid, Oh, which is just, it's a gland in your neck, right? It's kind of like a butterfly shaped gland around your throat. And what is the thyroid in charge of? <sighs> a lot of things. I mean, so many things that I don't still can't wrap my head around, but it runs a lot of like hormonal things, mm -hmm. your metabolism a little bit. Yeah. It's a major gland that it's important for a lot of your bodily functions. And when, how much longer did it take for them to be able to diagnose you? Oh, I mean, he, that surgeon told me when I went in there that day that he was 99% sure it was thyroid cancer. Oh. He said that they would have to do a biopsy to make sure. And they did. They put like a needle in my neck, like this like 10 inch needle. Absolutely fucking not. <laughs> Stuck it in like all the way, like deep into whatever it was. And they extracted tissue from it or whatever. No. And then they confirmed it. But Oh my God. And was your mom with you? I don't know if I... I think that my parents might have met me there because yeah. I told them what was going on. And I think I met them at that doctor's office. I had school that day or something and afterward. Right. Were they terrified? 
I think so. I mean, I told him I went back there by myself, so I was told the news alone. Oh, yeah. What did that feel like? I mean, I don't know, because you kind of when you someone tells you that you almost kind of shut down and go into shock a little, a little bit, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I was twenty-one, so young. Oh yeah. It's so sick because like that is such a young age in my mind to have cancer. And I feel like after you had your cancer diagnosis, I saw so many young people getting the same kind of cancer, thyroid Mm. cancer. It's common. The kind that I had especially. And it's not the kind that I have. I had like the most treatable form of it that you can have, which is good. Right. But it was pretty advanced. I mean, it had like metastasized around my neck and like into my shoulder. Mm -hmm. So if I had let it go, I mean, it's a slow growing cancer, but if I let it go Mm -hmm. and not gone to the doctor. Yeah. Thank God you went. I remember when you called me. I remember where I was. (laughs) I was. I don't remember any of this. I do. So I was working for LA Fitness still at the time (laughs) back in my LA Fitness days. And I was in the car with my boss because we were going like back and forth from like that Bally Total Fitness thing. Oh. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Uh Uh-huh. And then you called me and you're like, I have cancer. (laughs) And we started laughing. (laughs) Don't you remember that? I don't remember. We had like nervous laugh and I was trying to like, like, uh, what's the word? Comfort you. Yeah. I was trying to like comfort you and I'm like, it'll be fine. And I'm like, it'll be kind of cozy because you get to like watch movies and you'll just rest a lot. Uh And we were like laughing hysterically but not because we were like happy about it it's just like a nervous like we're I just think that's normal people do that we just start laughing i think uh, laughter is a common response to things like that that are uncomfortable and yeah. scary and life-threatening mm-hmm. i know when i um just sorry this is just like my squirrel <laughs> brain just reminds me because i walked in on my great-grandmother dead oh, like God. i found her and I had a massive laughing fit. I forgot about that. You told me that story (laughs) years ago. Yeah, I think I was like eight or nine years old and I was just laughing so hard. And then my grandma walked in and my dad and they're watching me. It was demented. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to be put in an insane asylum. This is not okay. (laughs) So after, anyway, back to the story. Um, How long was it till you had your surgery? I had the surgery pretty fast afterward. Like within weeks? Um, within like a month or two, I was diagnosed with it. I think it was in the fall and I had the surgery like four days before Christmas, three days before Christmas. Yeah. So I spent Christmas in the hospital. Can you talk about, um, what that was like going in for that surgery? Expected. It was supposed to be a fairly like routine surgery. And when they got in there, they just found more cancer than they thought. Sick. So I think I was in surgery for like seven hours and they were just removing he was trying to get as much as he could like the lymph nodes it was mainly lymph nodes they're trying to get lymph nodes that have cancer in them so yeah i woke up in the icu and i don't remember a lot about that i remember having a male nurse that had wooden glasses wood rimmed glasses i remember that detail and i remember my family coming in and out and stuff right and then Afterward, I was in the hospital for like a week. Right. You looked gnarly. I'm just going to say like when... Frankenstein. You were Frankenstein. Uh-huh. I, is it okay if I attach a picture in the show notes for people to see your drains? Are there pictures of the drain tubes? There's a picture of Sasha and I, my little sister. Okay, I know. Standing what you're ta- next to you. I know what you're talking about. With yeah. the tubes. Uh-huh. I just want people to see. It was really intense. That was yeah. frightening to see. 
Yeah. And it was right before Christmas. Uh-huh. So you were in the hospital for Christmas. Yeah, I think I got out like the 29th of oh December. Oh my gosh. I was there on your birthday. I know. Uh-huh. And what was the healing process like for that? Because um, basically, I mean, you ended up gaining some weight after that because of the thyroid getting removed, remember? Yeah, I wasn't allowed. So you, when you have your thyroid removed, you have to replace it with a hormone therapy. Basically, right. you have to take thyroid medicine. And I couldn't start taking that after the surgery until I'd had, they call it RAI, it's radioactive iodine therapy. And I needed to have that done because that clears out to make sure that it eliminates any thyroid tissue in your body. And so they wouldn't let me start the replacement hormones until after I had done that. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Talk more about it. Like, how did your body feel? Were you resting a lot? Yeah, I was exhausted mainly. I was sluggish. You just don't feel good because you're not getting the right hormones. Your body's completely unregulated and you're tired all the time. Yeah. How long did it take you to feel like yourself again? Uh... A year, maybe? Yeah. Because I had the radioactive iodine therapy, and that was just... I had to go on that crazy diet where you can't eat anything with salt. Right. Because you have to basically... It's a tragedy. <laughs> you deplete your body of protein for like three weeks. Oh. Or not protein, excuse me. Iodine. Yeah. And then you go in and you take this pill, and then they isolate you in the hospital. That's right. Yeah. And I was you were like a, the bubble boy. Yeah, boy in the plastic bubble. Yeah. They <laughs> covered the room in plastic. Oh. Because it, you, it basically excretes through all of your pores. Sick. But you it, were radioactive? Radi- yeah, technically. Oh. <laughs> radioactive. <laughs> that is crazy. How long were you in the hospital with that? Two days. It was just a weekend. Did but you just I read books, or what did you watch do? Watch TV. Yeah, I couldn't do much. You just kind of have to lay there. You're stuck in a room. And you couldn't eat? I could eat, but they didn't. (laughs) It was terrible because I was there on a weekend and they didn't. I guess like their chef or whatever wasn't there that knew how to like make vegetarian meals. I don't know. What What did you eat? They basically for two days, I ate hard boiled eggs and (laughs) like celery. They brought me like weird. (laughs) Mm. No, no meals. But I was restricted in what I could eat anyway because of the therapy. Okay, gotcha. And after that, you, so you had to step out of college for a while. You started at community college, then mm-hmm. you went to Portland State where you were studying English and you had to take a break, right? During your bachelor's program? Yeah, I was out for like a little over a year. And that was when you had your surgery and everything. Yeah, because okay. all that came up and it was, I just, it was not sustainable. Okay. And then when did you go back to school? I went. <sighs> I'm trying to think. I think it was... So I had that surgery at the end of 2011. It was like maybe 2013. Okay. That and I went started like full force back to school. At Inport, in yeah. Portland? Yeah. Okay. And then why don't you just take us through what, what was schooling like for you? What has your intention been? What was your intention going into your bachelor's program? I went into that program. I always... Uh, wanted to do something where I'd be able to write or read or just, you know, be immersed in that kind of environment. And so school seemed like teaching was like the perfect fit. Right. And so that was kind of my plan. I didn't have a concrete plan, but I thought that's probably what I'd do. Right. So, yeah, I just kind of threw myself full force into school again Mm -hmm. like I do. Yeah. Forever student. (laughs) You love school. I do. Yeah. And especially, I mean, in the whole realm of English, like you're literally reading and writing all the time, which is what you like to do. Yeah. It's crazy. So, and then when did you go off to your master's program? Was that right after? It was like within the year after I graduated. Okay. Yeah. Talk about that. 
Um, I went to the East Coast. I went all the way to New York City, which was crazy. <laughs> Little boy in the big city. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was the first time I've been that far away from my family. I didn't really, I don't know anybody. I have some family in like Connecticut, but I'm not close to them. I don't know them that well. Right. So I had nobody around me, but yeah. um, it was a good experience. Yeah. What school did you go to? Fordham. Yeah. Talk about being in Fordham and what drew you to that school. Um, well, <laughs> the honest answer. Yeah. So I went. <laughs> always. <laughs> always. <laughs> no, I, just lie to me. <laughs> there's this web, you know, the US News and World Report. Do you know that website? I don't think so. It's just they rank schools. And I basically went down the list of graduate programs in English and the humanities. And at the top of the list, of course, is like Harvard, yeah. Yale, Princeton, Stanford. And I'm like, there's no fucking way that I'm getting into any of these schools. <laughs> You're so like, scroll. I scrolled down a little ways and Fordham was like a happy medium. And I'm like, well, it had like a good name. It's a prestigious school. And it has a good program. It was like a high ranked program and it wasn't impossible to get into. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of why I chose. Right. Yeah. And did you like being in school there? Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, and you had your cozy little apartment in the Bronx. In the Bronx, That I yeah. never got to go see. My sister did. Did, did I ever send you pictures of yeah, it? Yeah, I saw... I mean, yeah. I think maybe FaceTiming or something. There's not a lot to see. It was tiny. Yeah, but It so was old. Tiny. It had a clawfoot tub. And didn't you live, like, near, like, Little it- Italy or something? I lived in Little Italy. <laughs> that is The fucking, Bronx, Little Italy. That is dangerous. What? Oh, Italian food? Yeah. But I don't really like Italian food. You didn't go to Italian food? When I went... I mean, I would eat pizza sometimes but i went there was an italian restaurant around the corner and the only time i went to it was when your sister came and visited me she wanted to get fettuccine (laughs) and i'm like well we could go to this place but no i don't really like pasta i'm not a big italian fan yeah so it wasn't like a treasure to me right you're like if there was like a little mexico here i'd be oh i did go to the mexican restaurant there was like two mexican restaurants in the neighborhood oh was it were they good yeah all the food there is amazing yeah, so Scott and I also really deeply connect over food that isn't, like, the best for us. Like, I mean, Mexican food's great, but, like, we, we, that would, that's what we would always do. I mean, once we graduated from Taco Bell, we started, like, going to La Coretta, and, like, that's pretty much what we go out to eat. Or what was that together. place that we would always go to in Portland, but in Selwood? There was multiple. <gasps> oh, um, we go to the antique mall, and then I can't remember. We'd always go there. Too. It was really good. Mm-hmm. I want Mexican food today. Actually, we might be doing that. Yeah. So after you finished up school in New York, you you moved back to Oregon. Mm-hmm. You moved your back back mm-hmm. here in Boring. Um, what was the next health crisis that came up? Because yes, things just mm-hmm. kept coming up oh we skipped the diabetes oh fuck we (laughs) skipped the diabetes let's back up to diabetes i forgot i literally just forgot yeah so after i had the thyroid surgery about a year later i started getting these crazy symptoms where i was thirsty all the time my eyes like my vision was blurring you had scary vision stuff i didn't yeah i did not feel right and i knew that those were like the hallmark symptoms of diabetes because my mom's dad was a type 1 diabetic and he actually died from it scary so i knew what it was about and i remember calling my mom and being like because my mom's worked in the medical field for years. Right. And I remember calling her one night. I was at the grocery store and I'm like, Mom, I think that I have diabetes. And she's like, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. And I, again, it was just my intuition, I guess. I knew, I just kind of knew that that was what it was because there was, 
Yeah. What else could it be? Yeah. Deductive reasoning. There's nothing else that causes those symptoms. And I remember it got at the peak. It, um, I was at a concert with my brother. We went to a concert at like the Schnitzer and I kept having to get up to go pee throughout the concert, like every 20 minutes. And I was just constantly thirsty and I went and got a blood test because I went to my doctor and was like, something's up. And they just did a blood test and confirmed. And they called me that afternoon and said, your blood sugar was at like 500. You need to go to the ER. Scary. So, and then they diagnosed me with type 1 diabetes. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And can you explain type 1 just like for people who don't know the difference between the different types? Yeah, so type 1, they used to call it juvenile diabetes, I think, but they don't do that anymore because anyone can get it at any age, I guess. But type 1 is basically where your body attacks its own, I think they're called, I don't remember, they're eyelids in your pancreas, but it attacks itself and then your body can't produce insulin, so then you can't process sugar or carbohydrates. So if whenever you eat, that sugar just builds up in your blood and it's toxic over time. Right. That's uh, so scary. And then type 2 diabetes, I think, is you're just insulin resistant. So you still produce insulin, but your body can't use it. Right. And so what was their game plan for you? Well, I I had like, they call it like a honeymoon period where like my pancreas sort of bounced back. And they told me that happens, I guess, when people are diagnosed with type 1. They'll have like this huge buildup of high blood sugar and their pancreas isn't working and then it'll kind of kick back on for a little bit and then it just eventually dies out completely so there was about a year or so where i didn't really have to do anything that's kind of weird like that feels like this kind of waiting for the shoe to drop kind of it is yeah it is it's a weird thing scary it's i mean it's really like indefinite you don't really know when it's gonna happen or necessarily it's just they have to watch you it's just a waiting game right and so what was the was it just going to a follow-up appointment where they told you you needed to get on insulin yeah i mean i had an endocrinologist already because of my thyroid because endocrinologists deal with people with thyroid issues so i was lucky in that regard because i had a doctor that could treat the diabetes and the thyroid issue right because it's both in the same field right so i've seen him for years now yeah. His name's Dr. Grady. He's great. Oh, and is he in Portland? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he's in Beaverton now, St. Vincent's. Oh, okay. He used to be at Good Sam, but... Yeah, so you started taking your insulin, basically. Mm-hmm. Was that weird, or what did that feel like? I mean, the first time you do it, it's scary, because you're sticking a needle in your body and injecting something. You and having to trust yourself. That and you're... Yeah, and not knowing... I mean, you really have to toy around with it. And what do you mean? Ch- <laughs> Just because you don't know the first time you do it or when you're first getting on it, you don't necessarily know how your body's going to react or how much you're going to need for what you're eating. Yeah. So you kind of have to be cautious and ease into it. And then right. you eventually get a feel for it and you know where your blood sugar needs to be and how much you need to take for a given meal or something. Right. Has it cha- had, like Has it changed your diet at all? Sort of. I mean... They say that, like, type 1 diabetics can eat whatever they want. I mean, I don't know if that's true. Right. But I don't think anyone can. Anyone can can just eat whatever they want. (laughs) It's not really true. Yeah. They say as long as you're dosing properly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. It makes me think of, like, 
it's you've done it a couple of times just because you've needed to put sugar in your body but i remember at one point like you being like i need a soda now uh-huh because <laughs> you need the sugar i've had a couple of times i mean a few times i had one the lowest i think my blood sugar ever got was like 30 yeah and i mean it's supposed to be like between normal fasting is like 70 and 110 <laughs> i'd be like i need some chocolate cake like yeah. now <laughs> i mean i drink like a half a pitcher of soda because 30 is like very dangerous right. I, I mean i almost couldn't talk really yeah your brain freezes up kind of oh i just <laughs> i'm not even trying to make fun of it i just like i'd be such a wreck on that i mean I i'm mean, a wreck like that even when i'm hungry like get hypoglycemic like if i had diabetes like I, wouldn't I mean, that it is hypoglycemia. That is what it is? It's just an... Yeah. Oh. Hypoglycemia is just low blood well, sugar. give me some insulin. I mean... Here we go. Let's just do it after this interview, no. just for fun. We'll shoot up some insulin. No, you can. It'll well, kill you because you're not diabetic. Oh. It would make it drop so fast. Would it? Yeah, if you're not diabetic and you inject insulin, it will... Because really, your body already makes it. Let's just it. try a little bit. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just for fun. High walks in and I'm... Passed out. I'm passed out and you're shooting me up like heroin with insulin. <laughs> it's fine. Cozy. <laughs> so you got, you kind of, anyway, you got your diabetes kind of like under, under control. You have a rhythm. Most days. It. But you very, very recently had open heart surgery. Yeah. You are my literal bubble boy. <laughs> Do you feel? I'm, yeah, I suppose so. You are my bubble boy. Can you talk about that? That was very, very scary. It was, but at the same time, it wasn't. Let me refrain. That was very, very scary for everyone who loves you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was scary for me, too, obviously. But it, I'd also... I'd known that I'd have to do it my whole life, basically. I knew from, like, as far back as I can remember that it was inevitable that I'd have to have some corrective surgery done. It ended up being a bigger corrective surgery because I had the aneurysm, too, that was added on top of the already faulty valve. So that, I mean, made the surgery more intense. I guess it was a bigger surgery than just a routine. Because sometimes when you get a valve replaced, they can actually go through the artery in your leg. And they don't even have to cut your chest open. It's like minimally invasive. But they couldn't do that with me because they had to replace part of the aorta. So it was right. They the had full to deal. literally cut you open and break your sternum, right? I think they saw it open. Oh! <laughs> Who in their right mind, sorry if you're a surgeon out there, but what the fuck? I don't that know. That is Texas but... Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> shit, and I cannot. God bless them, though. Isn't I mean, it crazy? I mean, they saved I'm your life. I'm glad there's people that can do it, because I know that I couldn't. Isn't it insane? It's it takes crazy. a special kind of person to be able to do that. Yeah, and definitely. you're still healing from that mm -hmm. surgery, because when did you have that? It was like right at the end of November, like Thanksgiving. Yeah, that wasn't that long ago at all. Um, when you came out of surgery, what did you feel like? I don't remember. I mean, <laughs> it's again, a, I don't remember. It's I have always like no, a blur. Because I'm so freaking doped up. Yeah. But, uh, so I went in. I was honestly really calm on the day of the surgery. I had to be there at like six in the morning. And I was weirdly not nervous. I don't know why. I mm. was really, I just kind of accepted it. Like, the, this is what needs to be done. There's yeah. really no other option. There's no backing out. So you have like to. Surrender. Sounds like you surrendered. Yeah. You kind of, I mean, I kind of had to reshape the way that I was thinking about it. Because I think my whole life, I'd always kind of looked at having heart surgery as like a death sentence. Because I was just like a scared, I, ever since I was a kid, sort of hypochondriac-ish. For sure. And it freaked me out, but I 
I sat with it for a while when they told me the news and there was about a month between when they told me that I needed to have it done and when I actually had the surgery. And I kind of just had to reshape the way I was thinking about it, that this is doing the surgery is saving my life and to not do it would be to not save my life because you're going to die if you don't do it. So you have to. Right. And didn't you talk to some man who had the surgery and had like never felt better or something wasn't there or you read something i can't remember yeah i mean i read that's just because you can when you're living your whole life and you're not getting the adequate blood flow because your heart's not pumping correctly you might not feel optimal and you don't even realize it because it's how you've always felt yeah so that is and my doctor told me that oh okay that i there is a chance i'll probably like within the next year i might notice that i feel different yeah better it almost like and this is just i mean we haven't been spending a ton of time together but every time i've seen you like since the surgery Mm -hmm. i think there was like there's this energy lift where it feels like you're not in this kind of impending doom place like there not that you not that you like put that out before but it's like there was always that kind of thing that you knew you had to do and that was so scary and heavy like always in the background always yeah And I'm just interested to hear, like, having all of these health crises through your life, having all these health crises through your life, like, how is that? I mean, have you been scared for a lot of your life? And has that changed, like, I don't know, moving, like, taking big steps in life? Has it impacted things for you? Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, it's always been... I've always just been kind of, I do have like an anxiety. I mean, I've always been an anxious person a little bit Mm -hmm. ever since I was little. And I think probably part of it is because of that. Yeah. Do you feel less anxious now? Yeah. I mean, I'm still kind of, it's still soon. I'm still like adjusting and I'm, there's strange things happening with like my body still and my heartbeat. My I still have, you know, to be watched and I'm in an early healing stage. Right. But I do feel different. Yeah. It's so interesting. You can actually hear um, your heart. Like, you can hear the ticker in there. Yeah, they put, like, in, it's an artificial valve. It's like a little... They showed me it before I had the surgery, what it looks like. When you came over for dinner that night, and you're like, you want to hear it? And I, like, could put my ear up, like, not even that close mm-hmm. and hear it. You can hear the ticking. Yeah. When I was at the doctor a few weeks ago, I was getting my blood drawn. And the girl that was drawing my blood, she was like, what's that sound? And I was... I kind of listened and I was like, I don't know, because I didn't hear anything. <laughs> and then she just keeps doing what she's doing. And then about 30 seconds later, she's like, you don't hear that. And I realized what she was hearing. It was your heart. It was the valve opening and closing. Oh. It makes it, it sounds like I swallowed a stopwatch. It, it literally does. You're the crocodile. Yeah. And I didn't even realize what she was referring to because it's just, I'm used to it now. Oh. You just adjust to it because you have to. Yeah. That is so wild. I bet your family is feeling a huge exhale now that all of this is behind you guys. Because it's a so. whole family thing. I mean, they love mm-hmm. you so much, and they've been such a huge part of it. I think in some ways they were more stressed out than I was. For sure, and it's. I think your. I think your dad naturally did a pretty good job at like being able to kind of hide some of that for you mm-hmm. to ease your anxiety. But your mom was scared. Yeah, and pretty like visibly afraid. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the, when she came in to like say bye to me before my surgery i could tell but she was mortified she's like goodbye son yeah. i'll see you on the other side basically you're like jesus <laughs> <laughs> well after the surgery too i remember the physician assistant her name was paula she was 
a great lady. I loved her. She came in one morning and it was the day that they discharged me because I was only in the hospital for four days, mm. which is crazy. And you're, that's more than your thyroid. Less. I mean, yeah, yeah that's what I meant. Yeah. Less than, that's crazy. It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> but I remember her coming in and telling me, yeah, I mean, it's a really big surgery. Like in, when we do this, what I had done was called like the Bentel procedure. And she said after the fact like it's a pretty big deal we kind of hold our breath but you healed just fine and i'm like well i'm glad you didn't tell me that before there's a reason they don't tell people that yeah for sure um do you feel like you have you met people that have had similar stuff as you like health wise or do you feel like you've been kind of the sick boy (laughs) i don't know anybody that's had like my specific problems yeah i don't so many of them in a short amount of time yeah <laughs> so, it's crazy it is so crazy i bet you feel really relieved yeah what's i'm it? happy that it's just kind of over with i mean it's not ever totally over with because i have to take blood thinners now and be monitored for that right but what um what's your life look like right now like post-surgery like what are you doing for work i'm working in a cpa firm <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh-huh. do you like it yeah, it's okay. It's yeah. not what I would have imagined myself doing, but right. I'm going to be probably going into there full time in like June. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. It seems like something you would be really, really good at because you have like such good attention to detail and you like sorting things. You're, like, I do. He's I, a very organized human being. I'm a little bit. A little bit. OCD a little just bit. A, just a little bit. A little. I mean, it's kind of funny. You, my husband and I, um, we all are kind of similar in the way we organize things. I think even as kids, like mm-hmm. we always had very tidy organized rooms where like all our friends or whatever it was like a shit show room but yeah were, like like high alphabetized all his books and me too you do the same uh-huh <laughs> yeah uh-huh <laughs> that's me and you're a cancer yeah and what's your enneagram i don't remember the number but oh, a five is oh, it the numbers it's the numbers i think that it was a five i'm okay. pretty sure we talk about all this stuff a lot on the show so people like to know sometimes and what other things do we know of do you know your human design i think we did that one time but i can't remember that one i remember I think that you in- were a projector the same as i was high. the same as high yeah, yeah yeah i love that um what is the biggest challenge in your life right now could I, be emotional whatever biggest challenge I guess just trying to find, I mean, I'm kind of just like in like the dust is settling sort of from everything that's just happened. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of just trying to find equilibrium a little bit. I don't know if that really exists, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Just like clarity on like what's Mm -hmm. next or yeah, Yeah. I get that. Um, What are you most proud of about who you are? (sighs) Um, I think I'm honest. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably... Yeah. The biggest thing. Yeah. You're blunt. Am I? Yeah. I try to, I don't lie to people. I try to yeah. be as clear as I can. Sometimes I don't know if I succeed, but I at least try and I don't yeah. lie. For sure. Yeah. I think of you as being an honest person for sure. And if you were to tell, like kind of just give anyone maybe going through some health crises of their own, what piece of advice would you give them? Um... You really just have to kind of ride it out. You, Like you said, surrender. That was like a big word that came to my mind. Mm-hmm. You really just have to kind of surrender to the process. I remember telling that to one of the doctors 
they were like oh you're a good patient and i'm like well you kind of just have to surrender yeah because there's no other option you have to ride the wave even if it sucks yeah for sure yeah. i freaking love that well i love you thank you so I much you for too. coming on to the show thanks for having me yeah bye Thank you guys so much, as always, for listening. Please go connect over with Scott on Instagram at Scott Harn, S-C-O-T-T-H-A-R-N. Tell him how much you love him. He's the freaking best. He is so funny, and I just love him more than anything. And I love you guys. If you have not yet rated or reviewed the show, please do on iTunes, and I will send you a letter in the freaking mail. So message me after you do it. I love you so much. See you next week. Bye.